0: Well, good morning, faith family. Wanna say hello to those that are gathered in venue as well. I invite all of you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter two. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we started a couple of weeks ago a series that we're calling Peculiar, uh, because the Bible teaches that as Christians, we are called to be a peculiar people, uh, that, that uh, we, we are, are different in a lot of ways. And one of the ways we looked at week one was we have a peculiar kind of hope, that no matter what happens to us in this life, we have a future that is reserved for us and secure in Jesus that is being held for us. And that is our eternal hope and nothing can take that away. Uh, Last week, we talked about that we're called to a peculiar holiness. That is, we as Christians have been called to be separate from the world to display God in the world. And that is significant. That is central to our calling and what it means to be a Christian. Now, this morning, we're going to pick up that as Peter will tell us one of the ways in which we do that. One of the ways that we display God in the world. And it's going to be awesome. (laughs) I'm going to get in so much trouble today. Um, I'm already looking forward to it. So listen, one of the beauties, by the way, of preaching through a book of the Bible is that I don't get to skip hard passages. You know, when you're skipping around a lot, then it's pretty easy to just pick the easy ones. But when you're going through a book and you get to a difficult text, guess what? We have to deal with it. And here at Berean, we are committed to what God's Word says. That was a great place for an amen. And you did good, all right? (laughs) Keep it up the rest of the time. Here we go. If you're able to stand, please do so. As we want to honor the reading of God's Word. Uh, Peter here is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we will look even into chapter 3, but just start with verse 13 in chapter 2. He says, "'Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God.'" That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Would you pray with me and for me now as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, this is a gift today to even be here in this place, to now have the opportunity to, uh, to look to your word for direction and insight to our life. The reason why this is so significant is because we spend so much time during our week with messages from the culture telling us to go one way. We need the direction of your word to point us in the right way. And though this is a very difficult text for all of us, I pray that you would guide us and teach us and conform us into the image of Christ, in whose name I pray. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if there was one thing that Loretta did not mind doing, it was speaking her mind. She was, after all, a coal miner's daughter from the hills of eastern Kentucky, And she had what one journalist called a rough edged hillbilly personality, which simply meant that uh, Loretta was not afraid to put you in your place. And it didn't matter who you were, even if you were the President of the United States. The Loretta that I'm talking about is the uh, country music legend Loretta Lynn. One top vocalist many different times, uh, received the award of, of uh, top artists in a decade, uh, ranked on top 100 most popular women several occasions, was inducted to the Country Music Hall of Fame in 1988. And in her book, A Coal Miner's Daughter, uh, Loretta talks about the fact that all of that success that she'd had in music uh, gained her an invitation to the White House. And she had the opportunity to meet the president at the time, uh, President Richard Nixon. Now, most of us would know in that situation that it's a good thing to be respectful. You know, uh, uh, hello, Mr. President. Nice to meet you, Mr. President, that, 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 that sort of thing. Well, Loretta is walking through the receiving line. She walks up to the president of the United States and says, well, how are you, Richard? and everybody's just shocked like what are you doing Like, they pull her aside and they say you can't say that you are not allowed to refer to the president of the united states by his first name that's disrespectful to which she replied in her southern kinda of way well they call jesus jesus <laughs> <What the? laughs> Don't clap for that, right? (laughs) They're just like, what? They just shook their heads like, you don't get it. You see, most of us know that that's not how you respond to the president, at least for a first greeting. But you know, when I heard that story, what struck me wasn't what she said or what she didn't say what struck me was how unaware she was at what she was doing. And it reminded me of me. I wonder how many of us as followers of Jesus Christ daily are unaware, disconnected, and completely oblivious to our disrespect to the God ordained authorities in our life. That's a big problem. That is a God problem. That is a gospel issue and it is exactly what Peter is dealing with in 1st Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 13 again. He says, be subject For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, that is human authority. Now, that phrase in the ESV, be subject, it's the Greek word for submit. Now, let's be honest, because it's good to be honest at church. That's a verse we'd love to rip out of our Bibles, it is one that we do not like. In fact, a little exercise here audience participation part of the sermon. I'm gonna to count to three, venue participate. I'm gonna to count to three, and when I count to three, I want everybody to just say the word submit. You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Submit. It makes you nauseous, doesn't it? I mean, there's just something about submit submission that we don't like we don't like that word our culture has robbed us of the biblical beauty of this word we hate submission the idea of submission the word submission because it goes against everything we stand for and as we look around in everyday life we see all kinds of examples where people refuse to submit for instance, some of you have pets that will not obey what you tell them to do. Get in your bed. Get in your bed. Ozzie, you get in your bed. Get in your bed. I... No, you get in your bed. I... You get in your bed. Uh... <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know what it is about that bed. That dog doesn't want in it. But we see other examples of this, like we ignore traffic laws or violent protest in the street. We see rebellion often glorified in all kinds of movies. We see it taking place in the classroom. We refuse to turn off our electronic devices. I almost said uh, we refuse to get off the plane when we're asked to, but I thought too soon, too soon. <laughs> Give that one about a year before we come back to that, all right? Or if you are a parent, at some point you have seen this look. (laughs) And what I want to tell you today is that's every single one of us. We hate submission. We don't want to be subject to anything. And the reason that's the case are three. Number one is because we are descendants of Adam. We are in the situation that we are in because of a lack of submission. The Bible says in the beginning, God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat of all this, you just can't eat of that. And Adam and Eve basically say, I got news for you, God, we'll do what we want to do. We will not submit to your ways. We are born rebels. We are born rebels. Add to that, number two, that we're Americans, which I'm thankful for, but our nation was established on rebellion from tyranny, which is perfectly fine. I'm just simply saying that in our DNA, in our bones, in our mentality is this idea, you got to stand up, not submit. And then add to that, thirdly, we have the First Amendment, which I cherish and love and am deeply grateful for. But we're so convinced of, I can say anything I want to say whenever I want to say it, and sometimes it might be best to not say anything at all. Preach, preacher, all right? My point is, internally, our war with sin and externally, our environment tells us everything but what the Word of God tells us here. I am swimming against the stream today. Ain't nobody gonna buy this CD. Nobody's gonna watch it online because nobody wants to hear this message and yet it is central to the calling of a Christian. Why? Two words. Worship. Witness. Worship and witness. Let me show you it in the text. You're not taking my word for it. Submission has to do with worship. Look back at verse 13. Be subject for the, say it with me, the Lord's sake. Whose sake? Whose sake? So not your sake, not your boss's sake, not the teacher's sake, not a president's sake, for the Lord's sake. Submission is fundamentally an act of worship to God. Number two, not just worship but witness. Go back to verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is the unbelievers, honorable. Be honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, uh, Peter is very clear here that how you live, and he comes right out of that with the command of submission, has everything to do with your witness in the world. Don't be giving human authority an opportunity to say, yep, Jesus doesn't make a difference because you're just like everybody else. No, we are peculiar. We are different and we have this calling to submit even when we don't want to. It is the mission I call of submission, the mission of submission. By the way, just real quick little footnote here. This is like think Peter's argument. You're a saved people, Chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. God's restoring your image bearing, which is to reflect Him. That is central to your call of holiness. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 13 and following. Set apart from the world to display God in the world. How do I do that? How you respond to authority. That's the argument of the book. And it's not just in 1 Peter. Let me give you a couple other quick ones. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 22 Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, those in authority, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. That is, don't just do it because you're supposed to. External conformity. No, no, no. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Watch this. You are serving Christ. One more quick one. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 1. Let all of you who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters, those in authority, as worthy of all honor, so that purpose statement, the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. This is your command. This is your calling in the world—a calling to submission. Now, Peter will move from that command and give us four specific context in which we are to live this out. Now, uh, the, the word every human institution means all of them. So he's only going to mention four that relate to what his readers are dealing with. But just because yours isn't mentioned here doesn't mean it doesn't apply. But what are those four? The first one is uh, political authority. Political authority. Look at chapter, th- uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 13. Peter starts giving examples whether it be to the emperor as supreme, that's the highest authority, or to governors as sent by him, that's lower authorities, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter does what they tell every preacher not to do. He brings up politics. Because your response to political authority has everything to do with Jesus. And keep in mind the context in which Peter is writing this letter. I told you on week one, uh, Nero is likely the emperor. Uh, He becomes emperor in 54 AD. By five years into his reign, 59 AD, he has killed all of his political enemies. He has killed his mom, He's killed his wife, and he is burning Christians. In fact, Peter, the author of this letter, and Paul too, by the way, they will be killed at the order of Nero. Do you get what I'm saying? Peter is saying, be honorable and respectful to the very authority that's going to kill him. And you thought Washington politics was nasty. This is the political climate in which Peter is writing. And i got to tell you, Christians, please hear me, hear me, hear me. I am so, so discouraged with how I see a lot of Christians engaging in the political realm. It's not the engaging. You ought to engage. But how you do it matters. The tone with which you speak The language with which you use, the emotion with which you have, those things matter to your witness. Listen to what James says. This is is big for me, and I think the timing of this is so significant in our day. James 3 verse 8 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Did you see that? We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers, these things ought not to be so. President Trump, President Obama, name whatever political leader you want, is made in the image of God. How you speak about them, how you engage politically has everything to do with your witness for Jesus Christ. I'm not asking, did you vote for them? I'm not asking, do you agree with their politics? No. I'm simply saying, an unwillingness to submit is not a sign of moral courage. It's not a sign of national patriotism. It is a sign of your rebellion to the one who reigns in the highest office. Because he has called you to be his witness in even difficult political days as which Peter is writing in. Oh, that we would be a people that would be like our Lord and Savior who reached across the isle of God and man and brought peace and reconciliation. We must see that as our calling. Now, if we're going to do that, we've got to live by this principle. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Short and sweet here, I'll just say, most people think they're free when in reality their anger is just a sign of their slavery to their politics. Let me say that again. Most people, when they're angry and hostile and, 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 and I mean sinfully emotional, they think that they're free... But what's actually happening is they're giving lip service to the fact that they're a slave to their politics. And what Peter is saying is, listen, you are citizens of another kingdom. You are exiles. You're free, baby. You're free. And you got to use that freedom to do good. Don't use that freedom for evil. Don't use that freedom to bring reproach on the name of Jesus. Use that freedom as servants of God. That's your calling of holiness in this world. Be engaged, faith family. Be engaged. For heaven's sake, be engaged. Have opinions. Disagree. Vote and change laws. But, 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 but do it with honor and respect because we are free in Jesus Christ. Here's the second context. He moves now from politics to verse 18, vocation. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good ones, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin, that is you rise up and you rebel and fight back and you're beaten for it? That you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So Peter moves here from authority in the political realm to now authority in the workplace. Remember when people used to say boss when they were describing something that was really cool? Like, those shoulder pads are really boss, man. Look at that perm. That perm is so boss. It's what made me want to become a boss. And I look so good in a perm and shoulder pads. But now boss is just slang for a jerk in charge. All right, don't amen that, all right? Don't amen that. Especially Pastor Terry. Anyways. Um... One of the most difficult contexts in life is relating to a boss or workplace-type authority. And by the way, a little context here quickly. Uh, In Peter's day, historically, a lot of times Christians would not be hired uh, by the Romans uh, because they were Christians. And if they were hired... They were special objects of mistreatment because they were Christians. In other words, Peter's writing to very hostile work environments. The application for us today is simply how we relate to authority at our jobs. Now listen, some of you, I've had people come up to me today, came up to me last night after our service and said, you don't know how much I needed this. Because right now, one of the biggest tensions in your life is your job. It's who you work for. It's who you work with. If they're in the room, don't point. But that's one of your big sources of tension. Here's my question to you everybody right here, venue, you too. Are you going to gossip? Are you going to grumble? Are you going to call that coworker over in the corner and be like, Can you believe she made us do? Can you believe the new policies? Is that how you're going to respond? Whether they're a good boss or a bad boss, central to your calling is to submit to the authority over your life. Peter then moves to a third context. If I'm not in trouble yet, I will be now. Because now he moves into the family in chapter 3 and verse 1. Look at it. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that, there's the purpose clause, even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. That is actually a play on words in the Greek. He's not obeying the word, so you win him without words. How? By the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, same theme, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is a precious thing. You're not going to win him by just being physically beautiful. You're going to win him by the beauty of godliness. Now listen, cultural context here, in Peter's day, oftentimes marriages were arranged. Some of you dads might wish you could still do that today, all right? But in those days, you didn't always have a say in who you'd be married to. Now listen, wives, it was not uncommon for them to be married to somebody that either A, they didn't want to be married to, or B, was not a believer, Now, most scholars think that's what Peter's referring to, but it really doesn't matter. I need you listening. Peter's point is simply this. Wives, if you find yourself married to someone who is not the perfect husband, it doesn't change your calling. We're not talking about abuse or anything like that. We're simply saying that there are times he will not be the husband he's supposed to be. Amen? I didn't think so. Like, I'm not aiming in that one. i getting in trouble. Just keep preaching, preacher. Right? Uh, when he's not who he's supposed to be, it doesn't change your calling. In the same way, if the political climate's not ideal, if the vocational climate's not ideal, or if the marriage climate's not ideal, you still have a calling, Christian. And that is to recognize the God-ordained roles in the home. And some of you are like, quit picking on us and pick on the guys. All right, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. The Greek is the idea of a knowledgeable way. I think that means knowledgeable of your calling. And here's why. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Don't get mad. right? right, don't get mad. Don't get mad. You say, weaker vessel? I can beat my husband up. What are you talking about? Right? Now, now some scholars do think that that means, generally speaking, uh, guys are stronger than women. Generally speaking, certainly that's not the case in every situation. And so some people read into this physical weaker. I don't think that's what Peter has in mind. I think the context is this. Follow me, follow me, see if this makes sense. You live with her in a knowledgeable way that is of your calling So that you don't take advantage of her calling, which is submission. In other words, she's been asked to submit. Don't you dare take advantage of that. You honor her. You care for her. You love her. You treat her role as equally valuable to yours. Because, Peter will even say... She's an heir with you of the grace of life. Hey, buddy, this doesn't anyway any way make her less equal. You are both equal before God, so you do your role. She does her role, and it's a beautiful thing. That's what he's calling them to. Now, in saying that, I'm swimming against the stream. That noise you hear is my inbox filling up this week, All right? <laughs> I'll spend my whole week reading emails. I'm just kidding. I hope. Um, listen, I need, you to hear, I need you to hear your pastor. Because, because, because I'm disturbed about the tone of political engagement often by Christians. Here's another thing that I'm deeply, deeply troubled by. And I know I'm going to look like a, a dinosaur here. But I'm convinced that our culture has robbed us of the beauty of equality in diversity. We have let our culture rob us of the beauty of equality in diversity. Here's why: because different roles, though equal, is grounded in the triune image of God submission does not mean inequality at all. In fact, if you say, that's why I'm so tired of the culture taking this word away. It's a beautiful biblical word because Jesus submits himself to the father. So if you say submission means I'm not equal, you're saying Jesus isn't God. That's called heresy. Jesus takes on a different role to honor his father, and the father bestows on the son a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You got the father who's given glory to the son in his role. You got the son who's given glory to the father in his role. Listen, when you forsake God's design for the home and the family, you You think you're getting liberty, but what you're forsaking is the beauty of the God, triune God, that has created us. It has everything to do with imaging him. Thank you, brother. (sighs) Please, please, please see the beauty of this and understand that So much of of, of our resistance is cultural, not biblical. Because God has created a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing to image. How is the world going to see the Trinity? They're going to see the Trinity through submission and love. And He's called us as Christians, even when our marriages are difficult, to remember that calling. Because it has everything to do with our witness. Here's the fourth context is spiritual authority. I'm not going to say much here because we'll come back to it in chapter 5, but you see it in verse 8, chapter 3. Finally, all of you, so now he's talking to his readers, talking to Christians, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He's addressing how Christians act towards one another. Are you following the flow of the text? I'm not here to play patty cake with you. I'm here to tell you this is what God's Word says. And what God's Word says is when things are not right politically, things are not right vocationally, things are not right in the family relationships, or you're not agreeing one another as Christians, you are to walk in humility and love and compassion, respecting one another. Everybody right here, Venue, I need you here too. The true test of a church is not how good their sermons are or the music is. It's how they speak to one another. It's the tone of town hall meetings and conversations in the hallway. Because if we don't get this right here, how in the world are we going to get it right out there? It doesn't mean we're going to agree with each other on everything. Of course we won't. But it does mean we must be respectful in all things. For they will know us by our love. Even when things are not right in your relationships with other Christians, your mission is submission. So I'll summarize the whole text by just simply saying this. If you find yourself in a situation that's not ideal, politically you're under Nero, vocationally you've got a bad boss, family you've got a difficult spouse, or spiritually you're not walking in unity, see your mission as submission. See your mission as submission. Now, I know this raises a lot of questions, and I planned on it, Uh, and so I tried to think, here's what people are going to ask me, so let's just take a moment and be practical and answer five questions that people will push back on uh, quickly. Number one is this. Why should I submit to an ungodly authority? Why should I submit to an ungodly authority? I think we've answered that in the text, which is this. What were the two words? Say it with me. Worship and worship witness. That's the answer. We're to submit even to ungodly authority for the sake of our worship to God, for the Lord's sake, and our witness for God. Number two, second question people tend to ask is, this is a big one, does submitting mean staying? That is, staying in that situation. Now, if you've zoned out, zone back in, because I want you to hear me carefully. Uh, When you speak for a living, it's very easy for somebody to take something they heard and misrepresent it. So I want you to listen closely to what I'm saying. The answer of the question, does submitting mean staying, is no, not at all. Listen, if you can leave the situation biblically, you're free to, as long as you do it respectfully. Did you hear that? If you can leave the situation biblically, then you're free to leave it respectfully. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul tells bond servants uh, that if you can gain your freedom, do it. That's, that's fine. That's, that's a good thing. But there are some situations where you can't. For instance, divorce may not be biblical or it may not be practical to move to Canada although it's only a few hours away, all right? Uh, It it may not be practical for you to find another job. So here's the point, everybody right here. If biblically you can get out, that's fine, but do it respectfully. And if you can't get out, biblically or practically, then recognize your mission is submission. Now, quick little note here. One of the things that I learned uh, in my life, just in some wisdom, is Sometimes when you drop a class that's required for graduation, they make you repeat it. Now, don't ask me how I know that. I would prefer not to give those examples publicly, all right? But what's the point? Um, Sometimes when you drop out of the class of life, God makes you repeat it. Meaning, if you're just trying to get out of a hard situation without dealing with what you need to deal with, you're going to find yourself repeating the class. Because oftentimes the issue is not the situation, it's your heart. And God is using that situation to grow you and sharpen you and conform you into the image of Jesus. Listen, listen, listen. You ain't graduating Christianity without Suffering 101. You will not graduate Christianity without suffering one hundred and one. So, if you can get out biblically, that's fine. But do it respectfully. Question number uh, four, um, number three rather. It's Tennessee math, anyways. Uh, is it ever okay? Is it ever okay not to submit to human authority? Is it ever okay not to submit? The answer is absolutely. Absolutely. The apostles refused to listen to the government leaders in Acts when they said, you can't talk about Jesus. Well, the apostles said, I'm sorry, I have to talk about Jesus. There's no way I cannot talk about Jesus. And so they continued to preach Jesus. Uh, In uh, Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh gives an order of the killing of babies and the midwives say, no, we're not going to do that. Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 is told by King Nebuchadnezzar to eat certain food which violated the law of God and Daniel said, I can't eat that food. In other words, here's the answer. This is important. When you're being asked to do something that is illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, it's sin to submit. If you're asked to do something illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, it is sin to submit because your ultimate authority is God. Is this making sense? Y'all still love me? Just tell me you do, anyways. All right, at least till the sermon's over. Number four. Number four. Uh, what should I do if I'm asked to do one of those? That is, somebody asked me to do something immoral, illegal, or unbiblical. Well, I surveyed 100 people. Top three answers are on the board here. Uh, Here's my advice to you. Number one is respectfully decline. Uh, uh, Daniel says, I'm sorry, I can't eat that food, and he does it respectfully. Number two is request another solution. What Daniel does is he says, how about I eat this food, and at the end of several days you test us to see who's in better shape. He offered a different solution so that he wouldn't have to violate God's law. Number three is refuse and accept whatever consequences. If the other two don't work, well, at the end of the day, uh, you cannot uh, disobey God. Uh, you do remember that Daniel's friends got fired. Some of you are starting to get that. Just let it roll on back, all right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happened? They refused to bow to the golden image and they received the consequences of being thrown into the fiery furnace. That's as fired as you're ever going to get. What? They trusted God in that situation because there was nothing else they could do. Disobeying God was not an option. Lastly, what if I see no hope for my situation? What if I see no hope for my situation? Okay, Again, top three answers here. Here's my, I think, biblical advice. is Number one is live at peace with everyone as often as you can. Do your best to be a peaceful person. Number two is uh, return good for evil. They do evil against you. You do everything in the power that God supplies to do good back to them. I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. I know we don't always live up to that, but that should be your goal. And lastly, now, if you've been around here for very long, this won't shock you, go to the gospel often. Now, why would I say that? Because that's what Peter does. We close with this. Look at verse 21 of chapter 2. Watch how Peter grounds the argument of submission. This is awesome. For to this you have been called... He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Verse 25, you were straying like sheep and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What's he saying? This is so important. And Berean, this is central to who we are. I mean, at least as Berean, because we talk about this all the time. Right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. You don't submit because we are moral people. We submit because we're gospel people. We don't submit because we're moral. We submit because we believe in the gospel. We have an example, namely Jesus, who though he was innocent, no deceitful word came out of his mouth. Though reviled by authorities, he didn't revile back. And by the way, why did he do all that? Because of our rebellion. The gospel answer to submission is this. Mankind's lack of submission created the problem that Jesus' willing submission solves. At the core of the gospel is Jesus submitting Himself to the authority of the Father because we did not submit ourselves to the authority of the Father. It's a gospel issue. It is central to what Christ has done and that means we view submission and we are redeeming that word today. Today. This moment, we are redeeming that word because there are three reasons why we see it differently. Number one is because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God. Hey, hey, right here. You know what everybody tells me when they don't want to submit? Here, here's what I hear all the time, and here's what I even say. You've said it too. It's this. Um, they don't deserve it. You ever heard that? But my boss doesn't deserve it. But my husband, my wife, my whatever doesn't deserve it, right? Hey, come here. You're probably right. But here's what I know is absolutely right. You don't deserve salvation. So when is the last time a Christian started behaving based on whether or not one deserves it? Your whole story, you are like sheep astray, but you've been brought to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You don't think deserving. You think grace, which is you don't deserve it. And so when it comes to forgiveness, I'm not forgiving because they deserve to be forgiven. I'm forgiving because of grace. I'm not showing honor because they deserve to be shown honor. I'm showing honor because of grace. I'm submitting not because they deserve submission, but because of grace. That's a gospel-centered way of seeing the call of submission in our lives. It has nothing to do with deserving. Number two is the mission of God. And all I want to say here is simply that Jesus fulfilled His mission through an act of submission, right? On the cross, and what is at the core of this text, we're almost done, is that our great commission will be fulfilled by our submission. There are husbands to be won, wives to be won, bosses to be won, political leaders to be won in all areas of life. How? By how we apply the gospel in the area of authority. Number three, and lastly, is ultimately our faith in God our faith in God. How did Jesus do this? How did He submit Himself to the Father? Well, verse 23 says, a very important phrase, that He continually, watch, entrusted Himself to the Father. In other words, again, if it's not illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, if you're in a difficult situation right here, this is big. Um, the issue really isn't your situation. It is, can you trust God in your situation? That's the issue for the Christian. Can I, even in a difficult work environment, trust God that He will use this for my good and His glory? Whew. What a text today. Amen? the command to submit, that's clear in the text, the context of submission, that's clear, some common pushbacks that we've tried to answer biblically, and then ultimately the why is because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ. He is our example. And so today, my campaign, what I am pleading for us, I can't speak for every other church and People of God out there gathering today, but I can speak for this one. My hope is that we will be a people that are not like Loretta Lynn and so many others in our culture that live with an unawareness, just oblivious to the authority that God has put in your life. Live, Brian. With the awareness of your calling in the world. We are a peculiar people. We are followers of a man who joyfully, faithfully, and voluntarily submitted himself to authority. And so we follow his lead. Not because we enjoy it, but because we enjoy him. We submit. Because we call Jesus, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, what a word to us today. Uh, thank you for giving us passages like this that get to the heart of everyday life. Of going to work, of turning on the news, of interacting in a community. And all oh, that we would be awakened and reminded to the call you've placed on us, to be a peculiar people, to be a, a an agent of good in a world where so many things are, are, are going wrong. You've put us here for a mission And how we live, how we conduct ourselves. Yes, we fall short over and over and over again. So thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. But help us live in the gospel in such a way that it does begin to transform our lives in the way we engage. So help us, Lord. Give us specifics on our heart that we need to do, decisions we need to make, or maybe some here today that have never surrendered, they've never uh, submitted to You as Lord and Savior. And that today they would turn from their sin and by faith say, I am laying my life down to follow Christ. Oh, that you would draw men and women to yourself today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.